Welcome to episode 19 of the Scout Trailblazers podcast. And this week I'm talking with Todd Chinani from a book that is out today, Wednesday, called Rabid World from Scouts for Mature Readers. And it's a really interesting story. I've had a chance to read it. So how are you doing, Todd? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Uh, we talked a little bit before we started to record about that, that it's called Rabid World. And of course, I'm so worried that people are going to look at this and say, oh, he just copied the pandemic. But you were telling me you actually started putting this idea together before the pandemic happened. Uh, yes, actually, you know, it takes, you know, as we talked, it takes a uh, a long time to put, a, put together a comic book, especially if you're doing it on your own and then selling it to a publisher. So it was years in the making. My first inspiration was actually at Baltimore Comic-Con standing in line in, I believe it was 2017. Hmm. But that inspiration, I can't tell you what it was because, you know, it's a big spoiler for the end of the books. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we won't do that because I don't want to spoil the book. But first of all, let's talk about how many issues are in this series. Uh, it's a four-issue miniseries with the possibility, you know, if people like it, that there could be a continuation. Could be another rabid world. Yeah. Yeah. There could be a second series. Okay. Very good. Very good. So, oh gosh. See, now I want to know what that inspiration is. <laughs> You're at Baltimore Comic Con and the the inspiration strikes you to do a rabid world comic. <laughs> <laughs> well, Someday we'll have to tell me that. That'll be fun. But not, we won't spoil the, the book. We won't do that. Yeah, that's actually part of the inspiration. The other inspiration is I'm kind of fascinated with epidemics. I have a history background. So, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of them in the historical record. So I kind of know how they pan out generally. And this one is worse than most that I've created. The other inspiration is pathogens and, and parasites and whatnot that actually change your mental, you know, the way you think. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of them, I, I imagine. Oh, yeah, they go throughout the species. There's a page in issue one in which it explains similar things. And I was actually at that conversation with an epidemiologist. So the, there's a page based on real life in there. Okay, cool, cool. Let me read the, the description here. It's on scoutcomics.com. It says, when an outbreak of rabies-like virus, of a rabies-like virus, sorry, devastates the world, it's a fight for survival in a world gone mad. Two couples set off on disparate courses, one for survival and one to save the world. So it's it's very interesting. The first issue I really liked. I was I was gripped by it. I, I'm I just want to know you know what's going to happen now to these people because you do a really good job of setting up who these people are. It's, it's like you said two couples, and they've got two different things going on. The way that this starts out, interestingly enough, is well, we, we don't actually know where this thing comes from, but there's a dog involved at the beginning, and that's where things start to go awry, which I find interesting. So talk about that. Is that how these things often happen? I mean, do they start in a low-level thing like that, and then they, they, they blossom out and in, involve the whole population? Well, there's a lot of uh, viruses that go from animal to human, and most of those are, you know, the worst viruses you could possibly 
get, uh, you know, SARS, COVID, uh, the plague, <laughs> you know, so yeah. almost everything starts from a animal and then spreads to a human. Cause I heard a little bit, they were talking about the COVID that it might've started with bats. Probably bats are actually, even though I like bats generally, they're actually some of the largest spreaders of various exotic diseases and actually rabies as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've got to ask a couple of things because there's just so many interesting things about this book to get me on the inside front cover where the, uh, the credits are, there's a greenish object. That yeah, that's, a, that's a painting of the virus. Really? So that's what we're up. We're facing right off the bat. We know what we're after. This is this thing. So that's interesting to see if, when you get the book, go to the inside cover and you'll see there's a, a, a painting of what this, the virus is actually looks like. But then it's really interesting to me, the choice of the art style, the name of the person who Oleg Okunov, I'm sorry. I just butchered that terribly, but, that's kind of the, the person's name, and it's not – I don't know how to describe it. It's kind of a two-tone. There's yeah. a, a, lot, a lot of gray, and then there's blues and reds and stuff involved. Was that something that you wanted? Was that the suggestion of the artist? How did you come to that? Actually, both the artist and I came to that. Uh, we kind of wanted it almost kind of like a film noir sort of – even though it's not a noir story, but sort of a take back of the old zombie movies, you know, the black and white kind of, but then we'd throw out the, uh, I mean, it's not black and white, it's just subdued. Uh, but then when something's important, you see color and that gets, there's more color as it goes on because, you know, more, there's more important <laughs> images that happen. And right. I mean, important by like action, you know, or something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm curious about, well, of course, first thing I got to say is you're writing this in my home turf or where, where I spent a lot of my life uh, in the, the Washington, D.C. suburbs in the Maryland area. You talked about the Baltimore Comic Con. It begins kind of on the eastern shore, which people know are, is off to the, 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 the far. If you look at a map, it's on the far right of Maryland. And it's things go from there. And I think D.C. gets involved because it's not far away. And there's all kinds of interesting things that lots of landmarks that I recognize. You know, Annapolis is in there. Uh, you've got the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, which I've driven over many times. And all these things are just, yeah, it's really interesting that to have this develop in a terrain that I know. Is that your home turf too? Is that where you're from and where you, you spend most of your time? Well, it's where I am now uh, and have been since 2000. Previously, I was a California uh, native. But I like to write about places I know, and, you know, I know Maryland pretty well at this point. (laughs) The interesting thing was, you know, the artist is in the Ukraine. So he's never seen it. So I had to describe it and send him, you know, photos of different areas so that he could you know, create the image as it should be. And he did a great job. I I mean, I thought I was there, you know, when I looked at when they, they, when they're on the bridge, Mm -hmm. when you're going over the Chesapeake Bay bridge, 
my acrophobia kicks in and, you know, I can't look over the side. I, I have to keep my focus on the road so until I get to the other side. And I got that same <laughs> feeling where I was like, oh, I, 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 I can't stand this kind of stuff. I, it's never it's too short. It's never short enough for me. I'm always yeah. on it. It feels like for hours. And I got that same sensation when I looked at the, the drawing of it. It was just really well done. And of course, Annapolis, too. Annapolis is, is kind of this uh, – it's almost a small-town state capital, which yeah. is kind of interesting. And it's just interesting. I think, think the artwork really portrays that super well. And the – one of the things I, I'm always judging artwork too is by uh, facial expressions. And wow, even the dog, the look on the face of the dog gets me. And the people involved and the various people, it's that really, I, you know, of course, as a writer, you want to put words in their mouth so that, they, you know, you justify your existence. But I think the way that you wrote the script and the way that he interpreted their expressions. I, you know, you, you know, you, we did a good job of telling him what we needed to see because, wow, uh, there's one, in fact, where uh, <laughs> the guy that owns the dog gets in trouble, shall we say, and his expression is painful, really, truly painful. And I really was like, wow, I, that really hurt, you know, so it, it's just, it's a beautiful, and I, unfortunately, the dog comes to a, a, an end, shall we say, and I felt so bad. I'm a dog guy, and I, I hate when that happens, but uh, I suppose that was better for it at this point. Yeah, I actually am a dog guy, too, so I actually hate horror movies in which the dog gets killed, so, <laughs> so it was hard to write that, but I kind of looked at it like, well, the dog starts off messed up. You never get to know the real dog. So, yeah. Uh, Cause you know, the old story is, is, is this, I don't care who dies as long as the dog survives. Yeah. That's I've said sure. that many times. <laughs> so it's, it, it starts off really well. I think starting off that way is a great way to get us involved in the story. You know, the dog is, you know, obviously it must be a nice dog and the guy is kind of everyday guy, you know, guy that lives on the, on the Eastern shore and stuff like that. And, when things start to go awry, it's you feel for them. You've done a really good job of building the characters, particularly in those early ones. When we start to uh, see what's going on and stuff, it's just amazing. I, I really thought you did a good job. And the thing I always have to ask, these characters, including the, the two couples, are they based on people you know? Are they products of your imagination? Where do they come from? Well, I tend to observe people, uh, you know, whenever I'm, well, when I used to be able to hang out in public. So everybody comes from a little bit of somewhere. Now, as far as the, uh, you know, the main doctor involved, that's someone, like I said, who's an epidemiologist that I met. Uh, and so it's a little based on him, definitely his knowledge. Uh, you know, but otherwise it's kind of a mishmash of different characters I know or people I've met in the past, uh, that sort of thing. And some of it is totally created. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's one, uh, there's actually two characters that are just totally created, but you don't really get to know them till later in, in separate issues. Okay. Okay, because uh, it, it's fascinating how things start to roll, you know, the, things are happening, and then it gets so bad so fast. 
That's the thing that, that that really got to me was that you know these people are basically trying to go home. They I think they went out for dinner and now they're going, they're trying to get back to their homes, and they can't make it there because they're they're it's told they can't go there. They have to get someplace safe so that they can deal with the what, what is their pandemic. I actually did that whole tense happening so quick on purpose, mainly because I wanted. That's why there are times on every caption that says where you are it'll say you know 9 45 p.m so this thing happens in like a day mm-hmm. you know before going completely nuts mm-hmm. so i wanted that tenseness throughout the first issue so that you're you know once you get past the first few pages you're definitely running the whole time mm-hmm. it's, it's gripping i mean i oh gosh it's something now the obvious question here and you know I, i'm in the four issues i'm sure we'll get some kind of resolution to the story which i'm looking forward to although it's called rabid world and that worries me <laughs> you know that that's the way that you titled that you made the name for it makes me concerned so that's good though that keeps me one is it really going to be a rabid world by the time we get to the end of it so I, i'm fascinated by that well in in the second issue you'll get an idea how far it's gone. Okay. That'll be good. Now, the, the obvious question like I was getting to is, you know, you must not have been terribly surprised when COVID-19 started to come about a year ago. What was your reaction when this whole thing, the whole pandemic started to happen in real life? Well, a little scared, but honestly, you know, I've been kind of in fear of this kind of thing for most of my life, having studied it. But I, you know, I was strangely calm when it first started. And, it, you know, it's kind of like once you realize what's wrong, you know, you, you can relax. So this is my pandemic stress relief, I guess. Fear of pandemic has left me. But the, I, I, has it unfolded kind of the way you thought it might? Because, you know, it's happened so fast. In, in the book, I mean, things really, like you said, within a day. And it didn't take within a day for COVID. COVID took a little longer. But it really, once it started to hit, boy, everything just shut down, just like crash. And was there anything in the real pandemic that surprised you compared to your understanding of how these function? Actually, not really. Now, my story you know, is about a exceptional situation. So it's not your average, as you'll find out, uh, you know, pandemic. But as this pandemic progressed, I knew exactly what was going to happen because, you know, I studied various pandemics in the past, especially the Black Death in, in Europe. And I knew what you needed to do to immediately suppress it. And we didn't do that. So... Mm. I kind of was expecting what we ended up with. Mm. Well, you know, these kinds of things, we're not as knowledgeable as you are about these things. And so when they happen, we, you know, the panic sets in. And that's when people don't do the things that they really need to do because we're not thinking straight. We're trying to, to make things go the way we want. And, you know, without that knowledge about how the pandemics function, we often make the wrong calls. And so I guess you weren't terribly surprised as you were saying, when all these things started to go kind of, you know, sideways. Yeah. But 
it really didn't have an effect on this story. Uh, mainly the, you know, it's the ironic thing is Netflix actually came out with a documentary series called Pandemic uh, about like a flu that would, you know, do exactly what COVID did. And this came out on Netflix, I believe, yeah, I don't know, it was like November, December uh, 2018, or no, 2019, mm-hmm. uh, right before the pandemic hit us, the real pandemic. Mm-hmm. So all you needed to know about what a government should do or what hospitals should do or what people should do was all in that documentary. And it also told you what to expect. It's, I would recommend anybody to watch it, although, you know, now it's kind of, it's already happened. Yeah, we're coming down the other side. So, well, I know I'm asking a lot here. Don't, you know, don't feel like that, like you have to give all the answers. Are we getting close to where things are going to resolve in the real world compared to what you understand? Well, you know, like I say, I'm no, you know, specialist. Uh, but I would I would think that, you know, once we get the vaccines going, you know, things will start to go back to normal. Although I don't think anything will truly go back to normal. I think we've learned a lot in this pandemic. And I think people will maybe change their business models because of it. But, yeah, I think once the vaccines come out. Now, the big danger is the mutations. Because when things mutate, then they tend to ignore the vaccine. You know, they'll find another way in. See, here's the thing about even the smallest things. Everything wants to survive, no matter how small it is. It wants to procreate. And to do that, you know, in a virus level, it can only procreate if it has hosts to do so. So it will do its most unconscious <laughs> Darwinian sort of survival of the fittest that it can to avoid vaccines or anything else. But, you know, if you cut it off quickly and don't let it mutate, then, you know, that's why we need to vaccine everybody now uh, so that we can, you know, make sure that we can catch it before even more mutations come out. Wow. Yeah. Cause I, I've gotten both of the vaccines so far. And so I, I, I don't, I always ask people, how does it change your behavior? And really you can't change your behavior yet because you know, you've still got to wear a mask. You still got a social distance. Although they're saying now we can cut back from six feet to three feet and stuff like that. So it's going to be curious to see. I, I'm just going to, do you, are there parallels in your comic to what we're going through? I, I, I find it really gripping, you know, the, the, the two different couples and who they are and, you know, how they approach things. They have very different approaches. And I see that kind of, those different mentalities in people around me. So I'm fascinated to see how they get through this and how this resolves for them. Yeah. I mean, well, you obviously you have to read the rest of the <laughs> yeah, yeah. to find out. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I did it so that there was kind of a science element to it, you know, based on, you know, what I've researched and, you know, obviously my virus, you know, doesn't exist and it would be strange if it did. But anyway, 
Yeah, so I wanted the science side to it to kind of back up what this is, you know. And then I also wanted the survivor element, you know, the people who don't really know what the hell is going on, who just, they got to flee and figure it out as they go, which would be most of us in that situation, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as it goes on, you discover more about the virus uh, with each issue. But there's also a lot of, you know, adventure for, for the survivors and uh, even on the other side, too. So there's lots going on. It's really gripping, I have to say. I, I couldn't take my eyes off it. When I got to the end, I went, oh, no, that's not the end, is it? Oh, I got to wait a whole month for the next issue. So it, it's really well written. It's well told. I think, the, like I said, the art really communicates the somberness of the story and what's going on. And there's all these really interesting twists and turns all in it. It's really just a great comic. And th- th- what interests me is before we started recording, you mentioned to me this was actually your first comic. Yes, I usually write prose, um, but I've been a big fan of comics, you know, most of my life. So I thought I'd, you know, try to create. I'm a very visual person, so I thought I'd try to create something visual other than prose. You know, prose, you can describe stuff, and basically that's what I'm doing in this comic. But I have an artist uh, who can make it become real. And um, I thought it would be an interesting collaborative experience and it has been i mean i couldn't ask honestly for a better art artist than oleg and the letterer as well lucas he's awesome so i i really lucked out on this first time experience writing a comic i got a great artist and a great letterer and and the finished product you know looks pretty good i I have to say it's terrific i really love it i i'm just dying to see where it goes from here i i want desperately to ask questions that would reveal things but i don't dare because i want people to buy the book and be able to read because it it's a very strong story with with vibrant characters that just you know they get you i mean i know some people like these and i just i feel for them right away it's just a, a terrific terrific comic so it's hard to believe this is your first honestly because it's so well put together well like I said, I, you know, well, I did take a comic writing class uh, online, which sort of, uh, you know, it gave me the formula in which to write the comic, how you do the description and then you do the dialogue and that kind of thing. But I've written scripts before for plays and uh, way back in the 90s, you know, so I was sort of used to that whole way of describing the weird thing about writing comics that it's harder than almost writing anything else is there is no movement. I mean, you have to suggest movement, but you can't have movement in a single panel. So to make movement, it has to be multiple panels or the suggestion of it in one panel. Now, when you're writing prose or, you know, a, a play or a screenplay or something, you can have movement in each individual scene. But for a comic, you can't. You can say someone or, you know, so-and-so is standing on this thing and this is the way they look and this is what's happening around them. But you can't say, and then he jumps off this thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you got to plot the panels well. Yeah. 
Well, I think you did a great job of making it so that when things move, it's, it's a logical order and our brain can fill in the gaps automatically. You know, a helicopter is moving and then it's up in the sky. And the next thing we see, it's over a city or something. And our brain, you know, is very TV-like in that sense that we get to see that little shift happen. Because like on television, you know, things only last for a couple seconds. You only get to see a one shot for a few seconds. And, of course, our brains now are able to fill in that. And I, just, I thought that was so well done. I thought that your book really just – this ought to be a TV show, I hate to tell you. <laughs> if there are people out there who are looking for a good TV show to make rabid world, man, <laughs> really. That would be awesome. And the script's already written, so. Yeah, well, see, and, and comics, to my mind, are always like a, a suggestion for how you would direct – a show like that you know you, you've shown in the panels how scenes could move from one to the other and i think it's just very living and gripping the way that it's done i just i really enjoyed it and i think people will really get a a, a real kick out of this being pulled into this world uh, just for a few minutes leave this pandemic behind and go into another one it's totally my, my different help. one so it's might a be a little less scary yeah, I, I, I see. See, I want to ask questions now. I don't dare. Uh, it's a great book. It's got me hooked. And I think if you pick it up, uh, Rabbit World Number One, get it from Scout. If you can't get it at your local store, be sure to go to scoutcomics.com, and they'll have copies there that you can buy online, and they will ship it to you. And I think there's digital versions as well. But I have to say that uh, get the book if you can, because it's just a well done. <laughs> gripping story that I just could not put down. And I, I think it's just uh, a wonderful thing. I, I, I already hope we're going to get more because I, I really love what you're doing with this. And uh, man, you, I think you have a long and wonderful career in comics ahead if you want one. <laughs> I hope so. It's really good. So if people want to keep track of you over, like through social media, are there ways to do that? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm only on Twitter. And yeah, I can only hang out or deal with one social media network at a time. <laughs> so, so I'm on Twitter. The address is at writing, you know, as if you're writing rabid. And that's my Twitter address. And the other thing is I have a website, which is rabidwriting.com. And that has a bunch of horror stories on it, some sci-fi from various people, you know, who've submitted flash stories to me. So there's a lot of free reading on there. And there are also links to the other books I've been publishing. Well, why don't you mention those other books before I let you go? Let, let's talk about the other, if you can tell us which ones you have written that are the prose books. Well, uh, they're all anthologies. So I've uh, written stories in all of them, but the one that I'm pretty proud of is Dark City Stories, uh, which is a cyberpunk anthology that takes place in a specific city that I created. And, you know, I had to world build for that. But the city is almost the main character of the book. There are other people. There are citizens from various different backgrounds. And each writer tells a story about a different person who just happens to live in this city and what they have to go through for their, you know, their little experience. So, so it's kind of neat because, 
you know, the whole place demands that every story sort of be part of that place. So that was really fun to work with several writers on that. And there's a lot of good writers and then they've gone on to do some great things. So that I created and then I had it published through Black Dog, a British publishing company. Then I did Power Loss. I did a story for that. And that's another anthology about basically what happens if the power goes out everywhere and you don't know why, but you know, what's next? Mm -hmm. So my story is the first story in that book. And it's, I think it's first because it's, it's the initial power outages, you know, what I was writing about. And I think the others were uh, stories about after them, kind of aftermath. So there's that. There's been some magazines I've been published in, a little, you know, mostly flash, flash fiction. And I do have a new book coming out soon, Darkness Wakes. And it's a horror story that, or a horror anthology that kind of looks back at, you know, someone stumbling across some ancient evil and, you know, waking it up. So there's there's that that's coming out within a few months. Great, great. Do you remember who the publisher of that is? That actually I'm publishing under the the uh Rabid Books publishing company that I created. So there'll be that. It's kind of uh the first I'm trying to create an indie public house or publishing house, which I've sort of done so far. Uh and this book will be the first actual book published by the indie publishing house. And then I hope, you know, people will submit others. Great. Great. You go to the, your website to get to that or does it have its own website? Oh no, it's on my website. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it, it's actually, uh, it hasn't come out yet. So you won't find, you won't find the link to the book yet. Uh, I have to wait till it's, you know, officially published, okay. you know, just waiting on some final editing, you know, to get it together. Sounds great. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun, like a great, engaging book to read. I, I love to get lost in the story. And, you know, Rabbit World did that to me. And I'm expecting the other ones are, are just as strong and powerful. So I wish you much success with Rabbit World and your other books. And I hope we get to hear more from you and, and get to read more of your good stuff as things develop. So, Todd, all I can say is just keep it up. You're doing great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's, it's good to hear. You know, I had the... Uh, imposter syndrome for for a while <laughs>